HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by the Heritage Meat Shop, located in the historic Essex Street Market in New York City. For more information, visit heritagemeatshop.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Once again, it is Thursday, 1 o'clock, and you have tuned in to the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Farm Report, and I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. Uh, Shaking it up a little bit today on a couple of levels. That was our new um, theme song here at the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We have transitioned to using exclusively music that we have a personal relationship with. And Joe, can you remind me the name of that track? That was the Skipping Puddles remix by Obesity. Nice. Obesity. <laughs> the time, timely and interesting track that you'll be getting to hear every Thursday when you tune into the Farm Report. So uh, in addition to the new theme song, we're kind of taking a break from the traditional format of the show today. And you're going to be hearing solely from me, your host, Aaron Fairbanks. I thought it was high time, you know, we're well past 100 episodes to have a little check-in and um, tell you a little bit more about, you know, my background and some other projects I'm working on to give you a sense of um, when you're coming to the show each week, what uh, is the perspective that's informing uh, my thoughts and then the work I do putting the show together. So, Started back, I will say, in, in 2000, I got a job working for Zingerman's Deli, the famous Midwestern deli in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I was a junior in college at the University of Michigan and needed a part-time job, and, and they seemed like a fun place to work, and I had some friends working there. So started uh, doing that part-time. I was pursuing a creative writing and literature degree in the residential college at the University of Michigan, and kind of thought uh, when I graduated from college, I'd take a few years off work as a um, as a, a legal assistant. Um, and then I would pursue my lifelong dream of attending law school. 
And that was kind of the course I was on until I graduated um, and kind of had a moment where due to some personal circumstances, my life got a little shook up and I found myself in Ann Arbor with uh, kind of no real plan for the future. So I kept working at the deli and a couple of months went by and I did the normal postgraduate freak out thing and uh, studied madly for the LSTAT, took it, did horribly, uh, applied to a bunch of law schools. Don't think I actually got accepted anywhere, but I was having that, you know, moment of reality, I think, post-college that a lot of students have where they're kind of like, holy shit, uh, what do I what do I do with myself? What's next here? So um, meanwhile, I was at the deli every day kind of engaging with um, food there. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's kind of an amazing spot. I mean, deli really is an undersell. They import fine um, foods from around the world, uh, artisanally made peasant foods, um, Long, foods with a long uh, and historic tradition, cheeses, vinegars, oils, meats, um, in addition to making some really delicious sandwiches. And the chef in the kitchen there, Roger Bowser, and I had kind of started to become friends. And he was uh, over at the farmer's market on a weekly basis and starting to challenge himself to incorporate more local ingredients. And this is something that I found really interesting. I'd never... Um, engage too much in in food or farming i mean i'd always been a good eater and i grew up uh in a very small community and my mom baked everything from scratch and i just thought that's kind of how it happened um and it wasn't really till i was in this more urban environment that the juxtaposition between um where your food come from came from and how you could purchase it was made a little bit clearer to me and so i guess post law school attempt freak out failure mode i was offered a position as an assistant manager at the deli and scooped it up um, as an as an opportunity to kind of throw myself into this new world. And it was an exciting time. I spent the next couple of years developing management skills and um, learning a lot about working with people and running a small business and leadership, but also really developed my interest in food. And kind of throughout this whole time, I thought really I would eventually one day like retry the law school thing. And it wasn't until about two years later when I was sitting in bed one one night and I was reading a cookbook and I looked uh, around my room and there was a stack of cookbooks on the floor and a stack of food journals on the bed next to me and another stack of uh, food memoirs uh, on the shelf and I thought man it's about time you stop kidding yourself and you may have stumbled into something that you have a real passion for and why not explore it so I set about trying to figure out what that might mean um, I had this vague idea that I wanted to work in food um, I knew enough to know that I didn't really know what that might mean I didn't really know what the job opportunities would look like what different positions would be and you know, where I would fit. So I spent a lot of time talking to other professionals in the Zingerman's community, really sitting down with different uh, chefs um, and business owners and asking them, okay, you graduated high school. Now you own a successful business. Uh, Tell me what happened in between. And what was so surprising to me is many of these stories were filled with years of uh, jobs they didn't like or moments of failure or long spans of uncertainty before they kind of took a moment to uh, pursue their 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 goals and, and pursue the business that they ultimately became successful and well-known for. And I found these stories really comforting and really inspiring. Um, I had always grown up 
with a very linear linear idea of um you know you go to high school and you work hard so you can get in a good college and you go to college and you work hard so you can get a good job and then you get a good job and then you get married and then you have kids and you keep working that job uh so that you can have a good retirement and then you have a good retirement and then you die and it's all pretty straightforward and obvious and I must have been doing something wrong if it wasn't clear to me uh, what the next step was. But then here were all these amazing people with these great stories who had had uh, a multitude of journeys and taken uh, a bunch of different paths. And I thought, cool, maybe that can be my my new model. And I started thinking about a plan that would arm me with the kind of skills and information and, and real life experience that would set me up to figure out, you know, what I wanted to be when I grew up. And what that plan looked like was pretty simple. Uh, It was a three-year plan. I was going to spend a year working as a chef in uh, the kitchens of New York City because what better place for a Midwest girl to hone her non-existent cooking skills than uh, than the the kitchens of New York. I was going to move up to a farm, spend a year working on a farm and understand what that looked like. And then I was going to do something kind of vaguely related to advocacy or nonprofit work around food. I didn't really know what, but I figured, you know, that was a few years down the road and I'd figure it out when I got there. So I moved to New York City. I uh, arrived in into October of 2005. I had a part-time job working for Heritage Foods USA, whose founder had been my boss, who one of the co-founders had been my boss at Zingerman's. And um, my job for Heritage was to deliver pork around the city. I would meet uh, the other founder of Heritage Foods USA, Patrick Martins, on Myrtle Avenue in Flatbush at 7 a.m. on Wednesday morning. And you have to remember, I was fresh off the boat from the Midwest. I didn't know that this was a bad neighborhood. I later heard that the uh, alternate name for Myrtle Avenue was Murder Avenue and subsequently became a little nervous when I walked down there. But there's uh, some uh, safety in being a little naive, and so uh, I guess someone was looking over my shoulder. But he would roll up in the rented uh, U-Haul on Wednesday. We'd drive over to the Navy Yard, and we would unpack a couple of pallets of pork, and then we would drive around the city delivering them to kitchens uh, in all different neighborhoods. And it was super exciting. I mean, Patrick was the most New yorker e New Yorker I could imagine, cigarette in one hand, cell phone in the other, shouting at someone as he as he blew by them in the U-Haul and very opinionated and talking fast and, and a lot of things I just uh, wasn't, uh, wasn't really used to. And not to mention the actual work of the job. I was walking around Madison Avenue with a pig head in a bag or a box of pork chops into uh, the back of 11 Madison Park and it was all very kind of exciting and exotic, and I, I knew I didn't want to be a delivery person forever, so I slowly um, started working up the courage to ask Patrick to help me get a job in a kitchen, and, and he took it on much faster than me and would introduce me to chefs. Oh, this is Erin. She's great. She's looking for a cook's job. She's got lots of experience, at, at which point they would look at me from head to toe and kind of shake their head and say, maybe the front of the house. And uh, after after a, a couple attempts, we, we finally got someone to take the bait. We walked into the back door of Savoy over on uh, Crosby and Prince and talked to Howard Kalashnikov, who was the sous chef there, 
And um, he said, yeah, sure. Actually, we're looking for cooks. And I, I went in for my first interview. Uh, I sat down with the chef at the time, Matt Weingarten. And he said, yeah, why don't you come in for a trail and bring your knives? And I said, knives? He's like, yeah, your knives. I'm like, oh, well, uh, what kind of knives am I supposed to have? Um, I was in way over my head. Um, but I showed up. And uh, kind of muddled through my trial shift and ended up getting hired on as a cook. And I spent the next two years kind of honing my cooking school, my, my cooking skills. And what I realized very quickly was that my plan of cooking and becoming a master chef in one year was pretty naive and it was going to take a little bit longer. And that cooking was a lot more fun and a lot more challenging and a lot more exciting than I was anticipating. So... I spent a few years working in Savoy, kind of making my way through different positions, and then it became time for me to, you know, try something new. And I, I looked around, and I was trying to think of what would be the next best stop for me, and Matt recommended going to talk with Mike Anthony over at Gramercy Tavern. And so I moved over to Gramercy Tavern, did a couple of trial shifts, and I remember sitting down with Mike before he hired me, and him looking me very earnestly in the eye and saying, you know, kitchen work is really grueling and you know are you sure you're up for it I laughed um, I thought this guy doesn't know me I am a hard worker and took the job and then spent the next two years working with them um, developing their charcuterie program making my way through a couple of different stations in the kitchen and really getting to work with uh, an amazing crew of cooks um, that I, I feel really lucky to have come up with such a great class. I mean, both restaurants really gave me an entree to working in an environment that prioritized uh, ethical and uh, sustainable sourcing to see kind of how as a business model, you know, what it took to, to make it work to buy from farmers uh, who were producing livestock, who were producing vegetables and and, and what that meant uh, operationally in the kitchen. And one of the things I explored while working in the kitchen was a farm called Flying Pigs Farm. I met one of the farmers, Mike Yezzie. Uh, he, he used to deliver the pigs every Wednesday at Savoy. And I just asked him one day, hey, can I come up to your farm? And he said, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I guess. So I went up one, one fourth of July and spent the weekend on the farm, and then I went up the next 4th of July, and then after spending a couple of years at Gramercy Tavern and kind of burning out of the cook's life, I was having another kind of existential moment, thinking, you know, what's next? Where do I go from here? And then realized I had never planned on being a cook after all. Uh, I had other things in store, and my next step was working on a farm. So I moved up to Flying Pigs, and spent the next year working with them, learning the ins and outs of uh, a kind of niche market farming. They raised rare breed pigs uh, in the Battenkill River Valley. I worked with them to launch a program called Farm Camp that focused on bringing uh, New York City food professionals up to the area to talk about how you create a sustainable food and, and farming economy and what was the role of urban residents. And this really informed um, my next decision, which was to pursue a graduate degree at uh, Milano, uh, the new school in urban policy analysis and management, because I felt like at this point I, I had garnered enough knowledge and experience that I wanted a little bit more formal education to undergird, you know, my next step. And so moved back in 
to the city and started exploring the food world from a a policy perspective and and that was really interesting and I oddly enough was led directly back to Heritage Foods for a summer internship where I ran a project called No Goat Behind and I'm going to take a quick break here, but when I come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about that project and how it is so reflective of the issues I'm trying to cover here on the show, but also um, ties in all the the, the spots in, in my past and uh, uh, something I'm really excited to share with you. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. is a message from the Heritage Meat Shop. Are you tired of just hearing buzzwords? Do you want to actually take part in the food revolution? Then come on down to the Heritage Meat Shop, located in New York's historic Essex Street Market, on the corner of Essex and Delancey. We have rare breed pork, beef, poultry, lamb, and goat, not to mention charcuterie that'll make you squeal. All raised right, by the right people, so you know they'll taste right. Try the meat that over 100 New York chefs ache for. Come to the Heritage Meat Shop and pick up some revolution today. For more information, visit heritagemeatshop.com. All right, we're back. You are tuned into the Heritage Radio Network, and you're listening to The Farm Report. I'm your host, Aaron Fairbanks, and if you slog through the first half of the show, uh, I'm reminded of the need to develop a, a quicker uh, background for my bio, but wanted to talk a minute about the, the point of The Farm Report, and, and what one of the things I'm really looking to do here on the show is demystify the agriculture process for urban constituents. I think one of the things that's so challenging um, as we look critically at reshaping our food system is really understanding the multitude of perspectives that are out there. There's so many uh, stakeholders in the system who who need to be engaged in in creating change that I think the, the first step really is 
starting to speak the same language. And so that's what I hope to do here each week is, is arm non-farmers with a little bit of kind of farm knowledge and, and farm perspective in a way that will hopefully inform their actions um, across many levels from their buying choices to how they engage politically to you know how they how they think and talk about food and and the the built and the the natural environment. So, want to talk into this project we're working on right now called No Goat Left Behind. Um, really reflective of I think many of the challenges our food system faces, and also reflective of our disconnection with the way food is produced in this country. So. The project was originally conceived by Anne Saxelby of Saxelby's Cheesemongers. Anne obviously often has cheese on the brain. And one day was kind of following this thread backwards thinking, well, to get, you know, to make cheese, you need milk. And to get milk, you need to have babies. And then was kind of stuck at this point, like what happens to all the babies? And it's interesting, you know, we we started talking about this and, and thinking about goats in particular, this rise in the interest in goat cheese, in particular in the Northeast, um, both from production and consumption. And, you know, as Mother Nature has it, uh, goats have a lot of babies. They usually have twins or triplets, and about half of those babies are male. And I think it's this very obvious biological fact that you can't milk a male. Um, so what do you do with them? And we started reaching out to different dairies that were in her network or ones that we had relationships with and asking the farmers, you know, hey, uh, we're thinking about starting this project, uh, looking at at, at selling goats to restaurants. What do you do with your male goats? And we learned that uh, across the industry, there's some some pretty unsettling practices. And and overall, this is a really uh, troubling issue for dairy farmers. each spring when, they're, when their kids are born, they have to kind of make a decision about what to do with the male animals. And the choices aren't super great. Um, you know, farms that we work with t- will literally post ads on Craigslist trying to get uh, consumers, I'm sorry, other uh, people from the area who might want a goat or two for their backyard to raise one up over the summer um, or literally giving the animals away. Um, many farmers choose to send them off to the live auction barn or into the commodity market, and at which point they really have no idea what happens to those animals for the rest of their life. And that, I think, was unsettling for farmers who spend so much time uh, and care really investing in in their herds but can't really manage a whole nother section. Um, and in really extreme cases, uh, I heard of farmers actually killing the animals at birth because that's obviously the lowest uh, economic input. Um, and I, I kind of was t- took a step back and thought, man, this, this seems like so crazy. Like, how can this be the solution? And I think it's reflective of how food production works on any real scale. Uh, if you're a dairy farm, you're in the business of milking, of making milk. Milk is really the product you're trying to create because you're trying to make cheese. Um, the babies, in a weird way, become a, a byproduct of the system. And to decide to raise all these males up, uh, to sell for meat in the fall is is a great idea if someone wants to buy them. And, and that was really what we were running into with farmers we spoke with is there just wasn't any kind of sure market for them uh, should they invest in caring for these animals for the five, six months between um, the spring and the fall. Because at, at that point, their options were kind of the same as they were when they were born to send them off to the live auction market or into the commodity market. And essentially that 
that means the farmers are our price takers. They don't know what the market price is going to be at that time. Since this country imports a lot of goat, um, almost 20 million pounds a year, um, and that the, the price of goat is impacted uh, on a global scale, there's really no way to predict accurately what the price they would get for their animals. So we thought, um, you know, through our work at Heritage, that we might be able to step in and fill fill this role a little bit by setting a price that seemed fair um, to compensate farmers for their work, but also letting them know that, hey, you're going to invest in raising these animals, and when the fall comes around, we are committed to buying them. And what we found was it really provided farmers an opportunity to invest in the kind of critical uh, infrastructure and uh, planning that they need to pursue a whole other segment of their farm. If you think about a dairy farm, they have a herd of animals that they're milking, so they have to take care of that herd. They uh, have a creamery, usually they're making cheese. They have uh, a herd of replacements that they're growing, you know, animals that aren't quite up to milking level, but will be in a year or two. And then they have this group of animals that they're never going to milk um, because they're male. So they require separate uh, pasture areas. Uh, they need to be managed in a different way than the dairy animals, um, given separate spaces. And, and those things require, you know, fencing and, and labor and time. And then when the animals are babies, this comes into play in a big way because they're not uh, drinking the milk of their mothers because that milk's going to make the delicious goat cheeses that we love. So they're fed milk replacers, essentially a goat formula. And um, it's very expensive. Often uh, the young animals need to be bottle fed. And there's a, a great deal of care there. So without really knowing like where you're going to be able to sell those animals. It's hard as a farmer, I think, to invest in in raising them up. So the project uh, kind of took off from there. We partnered with 15 farms. Um, we committed to buying all their animals. We asked them to bring the animals in at a particular weight that we thought would be a good fit for the chefs that Heritage Foods sold to. And we kind of let the, the goats do their things. We kept the specifications pretty minimal. We required that the animals were uh, primarily raised on pasture, that they were hormone and antibiotic free. And then we set about uh, the business of, of figuring out the next couple of steps. Uh, was there a regional processor who could process goats? You know, how much would that cost? How uh, far was it from where our farmers lived? And what impact would that have on their costs and on the quality of life for the animal. And once we kind of figured that out, then we thought, all right, well, how do we get um, the processed animals from upstate New York into New York City and partnered with a distribution partner, Regional Access, to bring the animals down into New York City and and go into the existing delivery network that uh, Heritage Foods had developed in New York City. Um, so kind of working our way through the food system and... Then the kind of last task in the box was to convince these chefs who, you know, weren't asking us for a goat. There was no one begging to get a goat next year um, to talk about why, why this was important, why we needed their support and why it was a good idea for their restaurant. And it's been re it's been really interesting. Um, the response of chefs across the board has been super positive. And I think uh, this being the second year of the project, we've learned a ton. I mean, I think it's essentially a weirdly a microcosm of how our food system works and, and doesn't work. 
It's weirdly cheaper to buy a goat that has been um, shipped into the U.S. from Australia or New Zealand than it is to buy a goat that was grown 200 miles north of the city. And I think really picks up on some of the uh, economies of scale and distribution networks that we talk a lot about in theory, but it, it was interesting through this project to get to work on them in practice and try and figure out how do we set up a system and build a model that other farmers or uh, organizations might be able to use in different parts of the country. So I would encourage you, if you're in the New York area, to get out there this October, try some goats. There's over 50 restaurants participating in the New York area. You can find out who they are uh, by visiting the website, www.heritagefoodsusa.com. If you're not in the New York area, don't fret. You can still order goat through the same website. Um, Or you can try and find some in your local region. There's probably uh, a dairy farmer or two with a freezer full of legs that they're looking to get rid of. And I would encourage you to uh, use it as an opportunity to engage with uh, this type of project and also get some new food on your dinner plate. So thank you so much for hanging with me through this kind of going solo show uh, here on the Farm Report. And we hope you'll tune in next week. Um, All of our episodes are archived on our website, www.heritageradionetwork.org. They're also available as a free podcast through iTunes and on Stitcher Smart Radio. Uh, If you want to get more information or have questions, you can email info at heritageradionetwork.org and tune in next Thursday for another episode of The Farm Report. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. What's hot at the green market? You're about to find out now. It's the Grow NYC Market Update. All right, we are on the line with New York City Green Market's Liz Carollo, and we are about to tuck into the market update. So, Liz, give us the scoop. What is going on at the green market this week? Hey, Aaron, how's it going? Um, yeah, everything's great out at the market. It's really bountiful out there. Um, I wanted to highlight one of the items going on its way out are sweet and hot peppers. Um, one of our coworkers likes to infuse the hottest of the hots in vodka, and Southerners like me put them away in uh, boiled vinegar and a little bit of sugar mixture, which I then spend all winter pouring on greens and slow-roasted meat. Um, you can turn them into hot pepper jelly. It's a really good option. And a kind of more tame and equally tasty alternative would be roast the sweet ones and preserve them in olive oil. Um, and Brooklyn Botanic Gardens is hosting their Chili Pepper Festival this weekend. 
which is really an awesome all-out chili pepper bonanza. So everyone go there and get inspired and then head to Green Market to stock up on peppers. Nice. Yeah. Um, and then new things that are coming in are chestnuts are really early this year along with everything else. Um, it's almost it's really weird to see them at the market when it's so hot out. But um, So they'll be around for a little while. They're, you know, most well-known for roasting, of course, but they can also be pan-fried, boiled, pureed, stewed, and, of course, put into stuffings. And I don't know if everyone else out there is thinking about Thanksgiving yet or if that's just me, but uh, <laughs> you got to start planning those menus. Um, and another item off the what-the-heck-is-that shelf is the celeriac or celery root. Um, it's one of these amazing foods that almost none of, you know, none of our customers know what it is, and then they taste it during a cooking demo and immediately buy it all up. Um, once you get the thing peeled, the inner part can be roasted, stewed, blanched, mashed, and even eaten raw. It has a really lovely celery taste. And unlike most root vegetables, it contains very little starch. Um, a writer for Epicurious, Regina Shrambling, did a piece on it recently and had some really nice recipes and suggestions for how to cook it and um, also suggested using the tops, which essentially look and feel like really skinny celery, uh, to help flavor soups and even dry them out and pulverize them into salt, which I thought was really cool. Nice. A little celery salt for your Sunday morning um, Bloody Marys, maybe. Sounds great. (laughs) Maybe a Thursday afternoon Bloody Mary right now. Why wait? (laughs) Um, So then not to miss... uh, I want to give a last shout-out to grapes and then the To Die For grape juice, which will be out of the market really soon, like in the next week or two, and not back again until next fall. Um, and then coming up are gourds and winter squashes. seems like every time I go to the market, the varieties and the piles of them are just growing. And last year we had 17 different varieties of winter squash at the markets. They all have their own color, flavor, and texture. Um, one of our beloved farmers, Kira Kenny at Evolutionary Organics, she sells at Grand Army on Saturdays. She has a really wide array of squashes. And, um, but anyone out there could find, uh, I'm sure, a variety they've never tried before at any of our neighborhood markets. Awesome. So looks like definitely uh, time to pick up your your pack of peppers for for pickling or or whatever you should use them for. I mean, chestnuts, definitely um, something I like to tuck into in soup uh, in the in the cooler nights that I guess are supposed to be coming up. Um, Celery root. Also awesome. Check it out. Um, What about a little bit of info on uh, one of your farmers? Uh, Who's who's exciting? What's going on in that arena? Yeah, I wanted to highlight Ben Shaw. His farm is Garden of Spices, and I know you know Ben from your farm camp days. He's really wonderful. He's a, he has a poultry farm in upstate New York, sells chicken, duck, pate, broth, eggs, and he now has a really delicious kielbasa. Um, ben has a big family, and they all help farming. They're really integral to the upstate farming community because they also are a poultry processor for their neighbors. And some of whom sell at Green Market. And he sells at Union Square on Wednesdays and Abingdon Square Saturdays. Has a really tasty product. It's worth checking out. Definitely worth checking out. I'm a big fan of the Shaw clan, if you will. Definitely worth a visit if you find yourself up in uh, Greenwich, New York. Uh, Check Ben out and uh, pick up some of his stuff at the market. Um, What about event-wise? What's happening? We have a few really fun ones coming up. Fall is like our glory time for doing super fun events and the market's so full. So um, we're going all out right now. We have Open House New York, which we're participating in for the first time on October 6th at 
Union Square, so Open House New York, I, I think a lot of people out there know it, but provides kind of access to some of the great architecture and design history and culture around the city, and Union Square is a perfect fit for that. We're going to do tours that's free and open to the public, 7 a.m., 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 1 p.m. Um, from the market info tent and then around the market on that Saturday. And then Open House New York will have a hub in the market also that day, um, so people can go there to pick up a program and pick the other sites they want to visit. Um, we also have Grow NYC's New Green City, also free and open to the public. It's kind of Grow NYC's one opportunity in the year to showcase all of our roster of amazing programming, like our markets, of course. We have a mission-driven wholesale distribution program, youth markets, community gardens, recycling education, youth education, and we also have a lot of our partners and peers there tabling as well. Um, and we have a Facebook page. It's New Green City with all of the programming listed, but it's the south end of Union Square on Wednesday, October 10th, and um, there will be an Iron Chef cook-off and all kinds of freebies and fun stuff happening. Um, and then I'm so excited we're doing our very first nighttime green market. Um, it's going to be in Harlem. It's the Harlem Pop-Up Green Market. It's one night only. It's Thursday, October 11th. We're doing it in partnership with the Manhattan Borough President's Office, the Frederick Douglass Boulevard Association. It's going to be from 4 to 9 p.m. We'll have a pumpkin patch, some prepared foods, some family activities, a gospel choir, all under the stars. So really, really fun event. And then also Saturday, October 6th, at our Greenpoint Green Market, we're going to do Best of the Beats, Polish restaurants of Greenpoint, um, we're inviting to come and participate in a borscht cook-off. It's Polish Independence Day, and so we're going to celebrate at the market with some borscht. Wow, that sounds like delicious. Do you need uh, tasting judges for yes, that event? Yes, please come. You're, you're invited <laughs> to everything. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Liz. It's great to hear what's happening at the market. Always so much fun stuff. If you want to find out more or get details on anything she mentioned, you can just check out the website, www.grownyc.org. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. It's-